In today's episode, we continue to discuss ecumenicalism. In our churches, we love to use big words. We obfuscate our pedagogy through superfluous grandiloquence, manifesting hubris instead of demureness. See what I mean? Inconceivable. While I might have a speech impediment, I certainly do not want to have a preach impediment. These get in the way of God's message reaching our hearts and minds. Let's dig through those big words and learn something incredible. Thank you for joining me today on Preach Impediments, and we are going to spend some time continuing our discussion of ecumenicalism. I've had a couple of days to mull over my conversation with Matthew Allen, as you have, and I hope you've had some great thoughts and some great ideas on how you can be more involved in pursuing unity, unity that is true unity as it is presented in Scripture. As we defined the other day, ecumenicalism is a movement among churches, and you hear this most often in terms of Protestant churches, where they are trying to promote cooperation. They call it unity, but the truth is it's really more the concept of cooperation, unity and activity, that they can get together and do things together without allowing their differences to play a role in keeping them apart. Because of that, ecumenicalism is generally not focused on unity, even though they use that word. It's generally not focused on truth, but the activity, the joint participation in doing some work together. So you will see in small communities a ministerial society where different preachers and pastors and priests from different denominations will gather together to raise money for the hospital or to gather up funds for some charitable event. And so they're trying to do some good, and we all agree that those things are good, so they do so without recognizing their differences. In some senses, that's a good thing. It's good for people who, who want to talk the talk of Christianity to gather together and do things that Christians should be doing. But the problem with ecumenicalism is that rarely does it pursue the will of God. It will pursue the will of a people who, who it pursues the will of a people who are claiming to belong to God, but it is not actually a searching within the word of God as to what God would actually want us to do. God is not only concerned with good action. God is concerned with right hearts. And so the goal that we should have as Christians, instead of being comfortable with one another, no matter what our differences are, should be actual unity. I like to say the goal is conversion, not comfort. The goal is to help people to change, to allow people to have what they need in order to be more of what God has called them to be. And that requires truth. That requires us to come together to study what is right versus what is wrong, what is acceptable versus what is unacceptable. And that requires us to have some hard conversations. I would say there are two main dangers in ecumenicalism. 
One that we've already sort of discussed is a disregard for truth. When we aren't concerned with what is right versus what is wrong, what is true versus what is false, and we're willing to put truth to the side in order to pursue some good that we want to accomplish, that's dangerous. How far do you go with that? Are we willing to let the work we do together take priority over the salvation of people's souls? And oftentimes, that's exactly what happens with ecumenicalism. You get people from different religious backgrounds who know they disagree with one another and who might even draw the conclusion that if this person continues down the road that they're on, that they are not going to heaven. But the work we're doing is more important than that. That's dangerous. That is a disregard for what God would have us be concerned with. The other problem you run into is a disregard for identity. And I don't mean identity or attachment to a certain denomination, uh, but there is a sense in which that is true. I remember back several years ago, uh, after some hurricanes had come through the town that we were living in, there was a Baptist church that generously opened the door to an Assembly of God church whose building had been greatly damaged in the hurricane that had come through. And so they worked out an arrangement where the Baptist church would meet in the morning for their regular morning services, and then the Assembly of God church would meet in the afternoon. Eventually, they decided, because it was taking over a year for the church building that was damaged to be fixed, that it was ridiculous that they were meeting at different times. So they started coming together and they took a very ecumenical approach of we're not going to preach about our differences. We're not going to preach about the different ideas that we believe the scriptures teach. We will teach things that everybody can agree with. And in so doing, we can uh, make sure everybody gets along. Well, by the end of that year, that group had become one group and they had watered down their doctrine so much that nobody was really sure who believed what anymore. Now, if we're coming together because we are agreeing that this is true, that's one thing. But when we're coming together and losing our identity regarding what we believe is true at all, that's dangerous. And I see that happening oftentimes with people who belong to Christ. They are willing to put aside what they believe is true for the sake of keeping peace or for the sake of making others comfortable, or probably for the sake of making themselves comfortable. And they end up losing their identity. They end up wondering, well, you know, we get along so well, and you know, what I believe isn't really that much different than what this other person believes. So let's just come together and, and be one group of people. That, that's, uh, that, that is not pursuing unity. How do we go about the goal that ecumenicalism has that's a positive goal of cooperation, the positive goal that they call unity? How do we go about accomplishing that goal? Well, I, I will say there is a sense in which we need to make sure we act appropriate for the occasion when we get into conversations. A part of what Matthew and I talked about the other day that had to be edited out of the podcast were several examples of coming together with people and acting in a way that is right for the occasion. It's not always right to 
open up the Bible and have a discussion. If you're at work with somebody, that's not generally the right time to do that. So we need to act appropriate for the occasion. We need to be those who are willing to say, right now is not the right time for a Bible discussion or for us to dig deeply into the Word of God just verbally for us to have that kind of conversation. And we need to not have the expectation that in those inappropriate moments, we're going to be able to have a life-changing conversation with a friend. Instead, we need to always be in the mindset of creating opportunities for the truth. So while I am at the ballpark with my family and I'm talking to a family that's sitting right next to us as we watch our kids play baseball, that is probably not the best occasion for a Bible study. But if we get to talking about Bible things, maybe I should create opportunities so that we can have a deeper Bible discussion that is based off the Word of God. So instead of trying to fit it all in between inning three and inning five, what I need to do is say, hey, why don't y'all come over on Tuesday night and we'll sit down and open our Bibles together and talk about this stuff. If we can create those opportunities and have a mind for creating those opportunities, we will be able to have discussions about truth, not just disregard the truth because the occasion is not correct. We also need to have a clear understanding of who actually belongs to God and what that looks like practically. You know, I can't just say, well, my neighbor is fairly affluent. They keep their yard nice and they have nice cars. So they must be happy and doing well. And I'm not going to go disturb that by bringing them the gospel. That's not the standard we're looking for for somebody who belongs to Christ. I need to be able to have conversations with people and be able to listen for are they speaking truth or are they confused about what is true? And if they are confused, if the occasion is inappropriate, create opportunities that are appropriate for us to have those sorts of conversations. If I don't have a clear understanding of what truth is, I'm not going to be prepared to open those doors when God puts them in front of me. I need to be able to say, yes, this person clearly belongs to God because their understanding of who God is and who he rewards is absolutely correct versus somebody who has a, a very loose understanding of truth or very little understanding of truth and clearly has not responded to the truth because of the way they live their lives. Ultimately, Psalm 34 verse 14 says, turn away from evil and do what is good. Seek peace and pursue it. I love that those ideas are grouped together for us here in that psalm, that yes, we should seek peace. We should pursue peace with others. That's the concept behind ecumenicalism. But the way to do that is to turn away from evil and do what is good. If I'm seeking peace, I can only really do that by seeking truth and living truth. Those two concepts go hand in hand. Another verse that's often used as a defense of ecumenicalism is Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. But as we've already said, the way to seek peace and pursue it is to turn away from evil and do what is good. 
The truth is we can only ever truly be at peace with those who also belong to Christ. I don't mean that with any sort of elitism. I don't mean that in any way that is arrogant or makes me better than anybody else. I'm not. I am a sinner who is redeemed by the grace of God, no more, no less. And if they are a sinner, they might need to be redeemed by God. They are in the same boat that I'm in. And the way for me to bring them peace is to bring them truth. Not to bring comfort, not to bring ease of life, not to bring a a sense of cooperation that isn't based on anything. I need to be those who are willing to bring them the gospel so that they can be at peace with God and so that we can be in a relationship together that is an eternal relationship. One more passage for you to consider. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. Here it says, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Become mature. Be encouraged. Be of the same mind. Be at peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Here, we very clearly have a picture of being at peace. But notice that follows, be of the same mind. I can't truly be at peace with somebody if we disagree on the greatest and most important aspects of life. I can't truly be at peace with somebody who is pursuing darkness, who is pursuing sin, who is doing the will of the devil. I cannot be at peace with somebody who is living a life that is so contrary to the life I've been called to live in Christ. So I need to bring them truth. And if I can bring them truth and they can accept the truth, then we can be at peace together. Ultimately, as 2 Corinthians 13 verse 11 says, this requires that we become mature. Maturity is a big aspect of this. Ecumenicalism really is a work of immaturity. It is a work of those who are unwilling to do the hard work to pursue truth and pursue being of the same mind. Instead, I should have enough maturity to be able to go do the hard thing and share the truth with others, to not agree to disagree, and we'll just ignore the differences. No, no. What I need to do as a Christian is be willing to agree only on truth. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 14, says, Pursue peace with everyone in holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. So I should pursue peace with others, but I also need to promote holiness. If I don't pursue holiness, they're not going to see the Lord. And what a tragic thing it is for me who wants to see the Lord, who has devoted my life to seeing the Lord, to leave others without that opportunity. That passage continues by saying, make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and defiling many. And make sure that there isn't any immoral or irreverent person like Esau who sold his birthright in exchange for a single meal. For you know that later, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, even though he sought it with tears, because he did not find any opportunity for repentance. I am scared to death that those who are pursuing ecumenicalism, who are pursuing agreement despite the differences, 
that they're going to show up before God one day with tears because they were never given the opportunity for repentance. If we're not willing to give people the truth, even sometimes truth that's hard to hear, but delivered with love and patience and gentleness, if we can't give them the truth that will bring them to repentance, we are leaving them in a sad state before God. We cannot pursue peace while disregarding the truth. That leads to disaster, and it will lead to disaster every time. Instead, we must pursue peace and know that peace can only exist when we are truly unified on what the Bible says is true. Practically speaking, yes, we need to work with others. We need to be understanding and we need to be patient. We need to be willing to let people grow and mature and make mistakes. We need to give people the time they need to go from where they are to where they should be in their understanding of the truth. We ourselves are still growing. We ourselves still have things to learn. And so we should be as patient with others as we want them to be with us. But in that patience and in those relationships, we need to always be active in creating opportunities to share the grace of God with those who don't yet know Jesus. I would encourage you to pursue the goal of ecumenicalism, which is cooperating with others in unity. But understand that God's standard of unity is different than the world and that we need to pursue letting all people know what Jesus truly said, who he truly is, and how he truly wants us to live. I hope the things that we've talked about today are helpful to you and that they've helped you understand our responsibility in pursuing peace while also pursuing truth. Our goal is to grow this podcast so that others can hear the truth that we talked about today. And so we ask that if you have enjoyed the podcast, share it with your friends, follow our podcast and let others know they need to follow it too. And one of the best ways you can do that is by telling people about it and leaving a review. We also hope that you'll continue to tune in each week as I interview a new person as we talk about new words and then also check out my final thoughts on these words on Thursdays. We'd also love for you to join our Facebook group. Just look up Preach Impediments, and there we have some continued discussion on these words and definitions. Thanks again for listening to Preach Impediments, and we will see you next time.